Planet Football with John Bradley, Premier League, European and International. This is Planet Football on City Talk 105.9. Good evening, this is Planet Football. It's just gone five o'clock. This is City Talk 105.9. I'm John Bradley and this is the show that takes you around the world of football in the next 60 minutes. Last week we gave you Spain, the Champions League... And live from France, we gave you Joey Barton. You know, the south of France is, is a lovely place to live. You know, the Marseille faithful and, and all the people at the club have taken to me. You know, I've more than welcome with open arms. And it really feels like I've come home. I'm looking forward to, to getting to the, into the season, getting playing week in, week out. And I'm sure that the Marseille fans as well at all well, this week we're going to cast our net a little further, as well as our regular European roundup. We are talking to Michael Bridges, who's now playing his trade down under in Australia. And we're going to deal with all the problems that are currently occurring in Russian football. Planet Football on City Talk 105.9. Right, let's get going then. I'm John Bradley, and this is Statman John, the man who every week will give you the news and all the best stats that are happening in the world of football. Good evening, Statman John. Good evening, John. What have you got for me? Well, uh, Jody Gomez is the first Spanish player to score a hat-trick in the top five leagues this season. That's boring. That's not even an interesting stat. You live all week for sitting in front of computers and reading stats, and you, that's the best you've come up with all week. Well, there's that and the fact Didier Drogba's had his request for a loan to Chelsea turned down. Now, that is interesting, because we thought that Drogba was going to go to Chelsea. He was actually linked as well with Liverpool, wasn't he? And he's playing in China, but their season's ended, hasn't it? Their season's ended, but he's still been refused the chance to move until the January transfer window. Well, that's only fair enough, though. Because uh, absolutely. why should you be able to change the rules for Didier Drogba? It's not that. They were trying to change the rules for Chelsea because Chelsea have got all the money and two months isn't enough time to spend it in. <laughs> what else has caught your eye this week, pal? Um, well, 2014 has reared its head again. The um, there's... Basically, there's a story on 2014 every week, isn't Oh, no, there? no. There's a story on 2014, there's a story on 2018, and there's a story on 2022. So, basically, whoever works in FIFA's PR department is doing a very, very good job. Not necessarily. Some of the stories on... Well, all the stories on 2022 tend to be bad ones. Yet again, we've had the situation regarding whether it's going to be a summer or winter World Cup right. discussed. The Brazil one's a bit um, more light-hearted. They've uh, had a vote, 1.7 million Brazilians... I was going to say 107, is that the other thing? <laughs> go on, go on, go on. 1.7 million Brazilians, and uh, 48% of them voted for Fuleco. Now, that's probably a bad pronunciation, but it's a three-banded armadillo that is going to be the mascot for the World Cup. Is that Robert Fleco or John Fleco? It looks like Sonic the Hedgehog to me, really, but... Uh, so, basically, it's the new mascot for the World Cup. It so certainly it. is. Let's have a, um, if you do... Well, I think... What's the spelling? Fuleco. F-U-L-E-C-O. It might be Fulecho, actually, that, John. I don't, I'm not too sure because there's no uh, accents on it. Have a look at it. Uh, Brazil 2014, Fulecho. Right, very, very interesting. 
Right, let's crack on because I want to uh, deal with our regular feature as we are going to do every week on Planet Football right here on 105.9 City Talk with me, John Bradley. I'm with Statman John as well. And our other regular guest every week is going to be Rob Daly. Daly into Europe, as Arthur Daly used to say. Good evening, Arthur. Good evening, John. You were so excited about that title that you actually <laughs> phoned me up. On Wednesday, or the, giddy. The problem was is that I'd just watched an episode of Minder, like because that's the sort of telly I watch Minder and the professionals. And and, and Arthur Daly answered the phone and went daily into Europe. And I just thought, yes. It's perfect, right? Rob, what you been up to this week, pal? What games have you been watching? You were with me last week doing Man City Real Madrid, weren't you, on Wednesday? I was indeed. And then um, stayed with Matters in Manchester, United QPR I was covering at the weekend. And Did you interview Redknapp. Harry Redknapp through his car window? I didn't. You can't catch him. He left early. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that. He ran out and, yeah, yeah, he left early so no one could be getting him through any sort of window of any kind. Oh, that's interesting. Right, Paul, what's been catching your eye this week? There is one huge story in the world of European football, isn't there? Well, we're going with the Norwegian Cup. Yeah, let's let's do it, mate. Where the team Hoods, who are effectively in the equivalent of the Norwegian Championship, have won the Cup for the first time, um, which was pretty impressive. They beat Tromso on penalties after a 1-1 draw. And it's just an incredible underdog story, isn't it? Because they're just nowhere near the standard of Tromso. I'm trying to think of an English equivalent. Can you think of Watford? an English? Watford. Watford beating, yeah. I mean, Tromso, Tromso are like, they're not like a massive team, are they? I would suggest, well, are, they, are, they, are these boys part-timers? I think some of them are, yeah. Right, so basically, they're not, basically it's like the Herald from Southport the Sunday League team beating sort of like, um, say, I don't know, a Fulham in the final I'd go right, for. How's that? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> incredible that they've done this. And there was so much build-up in the week and all the players were talking about, you know, it was their dream and they were just delighted to be there. And then they've actually gone and won it. And, of course, in Norway, Molde have won the title this season where Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is in charge. So a really interesting season in Norway and there's a sort of, Come to an end now with that. Yeah, they're sensible. They they they've given up now for the winter, haven't they? What I do want to say about that, mate, is obviously Mulder have won the league, so they're going to be in the Champions League. But this side, this team of part timers, are going to be playing in the Europa League, aren't they? Obviously, not in the new year, but the, like next from next summer. Absolutely remarkable. And I was thinking of teams who have done that. We've obviously seen Birmingham from the second tier playing the Europa League, but. Lausanne Spohr from Switzerland were also in the competition and didn't do too badly. They came up against some decent teams and, and held their own. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how, how they cope, but that, that ceremony of playing in a European night is going to be so special for them. Um, they'll have to n- navigate some qualification rounds. But Well, they're going to be, they're going to be I, I would suggest they'd be in the first qualifying round of the Europa League. Will they? It all depends on the, the Norwegian coefficient, though, doesn't it? It does. It depends on how your team's your, your nation's teams have been doing in European competition. Now, Norwegian teams haven't been doing very well, so they have to come through a number of qualifying rounds. I, I always cite the example of Croatia, in that Croatia just haven't had any teams do well in Europe for over a decade. And it's mainly Dinamo Zagreb's fault. They've done so badly that the rest of Croatia football has, in a way, suffered yeah. because their coefficient has dropped. So um, maybe they can do the Norwegian coefficient some justice and... And win it. <laughs> Robbie, Robbie, where, where are these boys from? Um, I don't know. What, Hod? Yeah, yeah. Where are they from in Norway? Is it like the, the outback of somewhere or is it like a, in a, is it just a little town somewhere near Oslo or something? Well, I, c- 
couldn't tell you, mate. To be <laughs> Caught you out, yes. <laughs> Listen, no one cares. Obviously, knowing about this part-time team is is even better. Uh, I want to go on to uh, Germany because uh, Mario Gomez made his comeback this weekend, didn't he? And Bayern Munich, congratulations. It is the last week of November and Bayern Munich can officially be named as champions of the Bundesliga. Nine points clear after 13 games and they beat Hanover 5 no. It's just far too easy for them at the minute. They have had a couple of knockbacks, but they're just cruising it at the minute. And someone who's been out all season, Mario Gomez, he did return in the Champions League in the week and he was one of the top scorers in the competition last season. Well, he scored. He was on for 60 seconds back in the Bundesliga and he scored basically straight away. And also worth noting that Javi Martinez, after his 40 million euro move, I mean, that is an astronomical amount of money for a defensive midfielder come centre-back. He scored an overhead kick. So he's off the mark there. Bayern winning 5-0. So an incredible result for them. It's it's bizarre, isn't it, what's happening in Germany in terms of they're just absolutely sweeping all before them, aren't they now? Yeah, they're just such a wonderful side. And the, the two signings they made in the summer... In, in Martinez to shore up the midfield with Schweinsteiger and then to add another attacking player who can play in behind the striker in Shakiri. Not to mention Mandzukic, who has been leading the line mm. in the absence of Mario Gomez and even Pizarro. We've been sort of having a joke about Pizarro. The fact that he came into the team and scored a hat-trick straight away. So I imagine it's a bit easier to score for that Bayern team than most teams in Germany. Uh, but Borussia Dortmund are coming back into things. They won at Mainz at the weekend. Lewandowski got a couple of goals there. You know, he's such a great player. I would love to see him have a stint in England as well. He got a couple of goals. So Dortmund up to second, but nine points behind the leaders. Um, Bayern and Schalke in third are ten points behind them. So it looks like Bayern are going to run away with it and bounce back after the disappointment of the Champions League final and losing the Bundesliga title last season. The other big story in Germany this weekend was the... Um the trouble at matches. Um, the German government are trying to bring in some legislation to tighten up what can be brought into grounds, including flares. So they're sort of decided, the fans decided they were going to have a protest about this, and it all sort of backfired. Uh, at Dusseldorf, Hamburg uh, fans managed to set, uh, set their own flags on fire. And then there was further uh, trouble at the Schalke. Set their own flags on fire? Yes. The, right. the ultras, the chosen few, have some sacred flags. And they had uh, articles of association, these ultras, that said if, if these flags get destroyed, they will disband. Uh, they had to have a quick meeting and decide this was an accident um, so they, they can continue. But um, there's a lot of hand-wringing by the people who have set off these flares because it was supposed to be a protest to show that, oh, they don't cause any trouble. Um, So there was a big fire at Dusseldorf. And then at the Schalke-Eintracht Frankfurt game, there were 20 flares let off and an advertising banner got uh, caught up in fire as well. So um, I think all they proved is the fact that the German government's right to um, tighten up on the legislation. I mean, the problem is that, uh, I mean, we're, we're seeing, hearing a lot of good things about Germany at the minute. The low ticket prices, the unbelievable attendances, the number of goals, all these brilliant things about German football. But they do have some problems with uh, trouble at grounds, hooliganism, as John was saying there. Um, and it's at a 12-year high at the moment, apparently, trouble at grounds. And Eintracht Frankfurt, the highest ranking ground for, for problems if you go there. So it's something they're having to, to sort out because everything on the pitch at the minute, pretty good in Germany, I'd say. 
Well, yeah, and there's 1.9 million uh, people attending games last season in uh, Leagues 1 and 2. <laughs> Who cares? Uh, <laughs> 1.9 million people. I hate stuff like that. I really hate stuff like that. And, it, and it's this and it's that and the tickets are this. and Look, just go 7,298 arrests. That's my last stat okay. on the subject. Thank you, John. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, Robbie, tell, tell me about the uh, interesting news from Spain at the weekend. Well, Barcelona won. That's not too surprising. They beat Levante by four goals to nil. And Messi got a couple. So How many has he got now this year? I think that's 82. Okay. So he's getting close to the Gert Muller record for goals in a calendar year of 85, which he got for West Germany and Bayern. But, but Barca played with 11 players from the La Masia Academy, yeah. which is remarkable. Danny Elves came off, Montoya came on. Pablo Montoya, those, the former Formula One driver, yeah? That's the guy. <laughs> and they had 10 Spaniards, um, and eight of them were from, from the, the region, and only Messi was the non-Spaniard in the team. Right. Um, and, and, you know, they've been talking about how this was the goal of uh, Louis van Gaal. This was the dream of Louis van Gaal, said Javi. To, to have this completely homegrown team, um, but even even though hang on, even though that they sold Jordi Alba, and then they've bought him well, back, well, they, got, they is... got rid of Fabregas and bought him back for a fortune, uh, and Gerard Piquet as well. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, uh, that's the one criticism I think that people have of the politics. Is they've shipped out a lot of money. I mean, Fabregas, you wouldn't say that was bad value for money, but they haven't really been using him particularly, and that was a. You know, he was, their, he was their player. But this is their thing a little bit. They go away and say, well, he was our player all along. And Real Madrid, in particular, do this thing where they put a lot of buyback options in the contract. Yeah. They'll say, OK, we'll sell him, but we can buy him for €4 million Euros later if he gets good. They do the, <laughs> they've done that with Granero, I think, yeah. twice. And, and I was speaking to someone at QPR, and apparently he's got that in his latest deal still. So they're still thinking, oh, maybe he'll be good. Brilliant. Not sure. Brilliant. So, um, but still, a very impressive achievement. I mean, if you saw... 11, 10, 11 Scousers playing for Liverpool, that would be pretty impressive. Well, Liverpool's uh, youth system is, is working pretty well, isn't it? And Everton have always brought players yeah. to. Um, what happened in Turkey this weekend? Galatasaray, um, Felipe Melo, who's been pretty abysmal as an outfield player over the last couple of years, has taken on a new role, hasn't he? Well, Fernando Maslera in the Galatasaray goal was sent off and gave away a penalty in the final minutes of their game against Alagispor. So, Melo went in goal... He saved the penalty to win Galatasaray the game effectively. Now, I don't know if you've seen the video, John. It's really funny because Melo comes off his line by about six yards. <laughs> and the referee does, does nothing. He does nothing. He's looking at Melo, watching him, going, yeah, he's, still, he's still coming off his line. Ah, let him get away with it. He's not a goalkeeper. It's incredible. But it was one of the stories of the weekend. And full credit to Melo because... You don't see that happen too often, do you? Listen, uh, we will put that on our uh, Twitter link on at Planet Football 2. We will put that link on so that you can see that and anything else we've talked about on the show tonight. Um, the under-21 draw in Israel is a bit more serious now, Rob, because obviously there's been a lot of problems over there over the last few weeks. I know there's a ceasefire, but the draw is made this week. Tomorrow, is it, for the under-21 finals next summer, of which, of course, England are part of? Yeah, the... The draw will take place tomorrow in Tel Aviv. Now, there has been problems with bombings and stuff in Israel, which is why the Israeli team, Hapoel Kiryat Shimona, who play in the Europa League, had to have their game moved with uh, Athletic, Athletic Bilbao to this week because of the troubles in the region. They didn't want to take the Spanish side over. It's been played 
uh, on Wednesday. But, you know, the, the tournament's next summer. They're hoping that they can solve a lot of the issues that are surrounding this. Big teams in the draw, Israel and Spain are the top seeds, England and the Netherlands the second seeds, Italy, Germany, Russia and Norway make up the rest of the draw. So it, it'll be a really good tournament. I think they're just really hoping that a lot of this extra stuff gets sorted. Top man, Rob, thanks for uh, that. And the final thing that we will ask you, which is the same thing we will ask you every single week. Last week, you said that Borussia Dortmund were going to win the Champions League. Who's going to win it this week? I'm going to stick with Borussia Dortmund this week. I won't mm. twist yet. I'll stick. <laughs> higher or lower, higher or lower. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you next week. Cheers, John and John. It's Rob Daly on City Talk 105.9. This is Planet Football. Coming up after the break, we're going to Australia and we're going to talk to Michael Bridges. And later, we are going to deal with the problems that are currently afflicting Russian football right here on your essential guide to the world of football in 60 minutes. This is Planet Football. This is Planet Football with John Bradley. City Talk 105.9. Okay, let's crack on 105.9 City Talk. This is Planet Football. And I want to introduce you to a guest now that... I've known for a very long time. Uh, He had the misfortune of working with me for six years. He's one of the nicest men I've ever worked with in football. I hope he says the same about me. Good evening, live from Australia, Michael Bridges. Good eye, Mr. Bradley, mate. (laughs) Have you been listening to Joey Barton by any chance? I certainly have, mate, and I've picked up the Mick Dundee accent since I've been here for all of three bloody years. (laughs) Brilliant. How's How's things, pal? Very well, mate. Thank you. Very well. Um, all, all going well. Like, like I say, it's been three and a half years we've been out here with um, the family. And I only came out here originally for, for six six months contract and fell in love with the place. The football went really well. I was playing regular again and three and a half years later, I'm just waiting to get my citizenship for to have a dual passport for me and the family. So every, everything's turned out to be been an amazing, amazing journey over here, mate. Listen, you, you've managed to keep your Geordie accent... Did, pe- did people not... understand you when you first moved to Australia? They did not have a clue um, what I was on about and thought I was Irish or Scottish. And <laughs> had never heard of um, a Geordie or the Geordie accent and until Geordie Shaw came out. And I've become a bit of a local legend now around town because of Geordie Shaw. So there you go. So you can play all those games. You can score a hat-trick at... Southampton at Goodison Park for Leeds, I seem to recall. Uh, but you're known because you're from the same place of some crummy television programme, which I've never seen. Have you ever seen it? Do you know what it is? I said I would never start watching it because it looks so tragic. And me and my missus got pretty addicted to it, oh. mate. And uh, <laughs> I ended up doing the series link. So, yeah, sadly <laughs> enough, I, um, I think I just watched it for the comedy aspect because I miss I miss seeing the places that I used to go go around town in and, and you know what I mean. So yeah, yeah you're reminiscing. You're reminiscing. Right, let's let, let's talk about life in Australia. Um, what's the weather been like today? Today it was. Do you know what it is? It was 37 degrees today, mate. And we we trained um, from nine o'clock till 12 in the afternoon, and it peaked at 41. So it was a pretty pretty intense. And my my tan or freckles or lack of tan um, paid the consequences that they made so I'm a little bit crispy and red <laughs> just, just, just just explain something to me that you are now in your summer over there and your season is played in the summer isn't it why on earth do they play in the summer it, 
it's it's crazy, and I, I realised that when I got over here for the first season, I thought it was coming in, in the winter, um, and it was a bit of a, an eye-opener. So what, well, the reason to do it, brothers, is because there's so many other sports, or as they call it, codes over here. You've got um, Rugby League, you've got Rugby Union, and you've also got, they've got an, a big AFL competition where um, they've got a team called the Collingwood Magpies. They've got 100,000 members, which they get there every home game. So to compete with these other codes in the seasons where some of the grounds are shared, it just wouldn't happen. So the A-League had to start in the these other these other sports off-season, which obviously is the summer and nobody else wants to to play in this heat. So that's that's the reason they they had to do it and to to generate interest from from um, the the fans because the population is only twenty four million I think for such a big country so there's only so much sport you can watch at one one time of the year. Talk to us about your new strike partner, Mister Emil Heskey, who joined the club uh, what a couple of months ago. Uh, how's he settling into life down there? Mate, he's settling really well. It's been a, he's, he's been the final piece in our jigsaw, and it, it, he took some to Sweden because he had a lot of other interests from from around Europe and, and overseas in, in in Asia. So I think one of the key factors in them coming was that our CEO came over to meet him and flew flew into England, and I told him a few white lies, saying there was no snakes here, there was no spiders, <laughs> it never got hotter than twenty five degrees, and just a load of a load of rubbish to get him here, you know. Uh, but he's come and he's settled in really well, and he's been a breath of fresh air. And I think what a what a meal's like as well. It's the the media attention he's had over here has been always so positive. Whereas back home, he, he always seems to cop a lot of negativity. And he's he's playing playing great football and scoring goals again. So it's it's um, put him on a world, a world global map again. You know when you when you went down there, obviously you, you, yeah. you went with Leeds, didn't you, on that tour when Leeds played down there, and obviously Harry Kuehl played with you as well. Did you talk to Harry before you went? Did you did you take advice from anyone? Because obviously I've known you for a long time, and Australia's a long, long way from home, and you were always quite a homely boy. Mate, I would never have gone. Um, this happened when I fell out with Phil Brown at Hull City. Um, we did fall now, and Walsall wanted to take me on loan from Hull. And I remember saying to Phil Brown that there's no chance I'll go to Warsaw. Um, I'm staying here to fight for my place. And the week after he said, Sydney FC are interested in you. And I, I was like, well, listen, mate, if I'm not going to go to Warsaw, do you think I'm really going to go to Sydney in Australia? And it was it was Dwight York that rang us up. And I spoke to Dwight York because he'd just been with Sydney the two seasons prior. And he, he, he taught us into it. And the, like I say, the rest was history. I went there when Janino was their marquee player, the old middle, the Middlesbrough boy. In Brazilian and had a fantastic ten game stint and really enjoyed it and wanted to wanted to come back because of the, the family and the lifestyle um, and the league was getting a lot more established but I never knew when or where and it wasn't for another two years later or three years actually after I'd played for Carlisle that the opportunity came up and it was it was Harry Kuehl rang us up and said the the manager of the Newcastle Jets would would like to sign you. And I was honestly on my way to play for a team in Portugal called Naval. And, and I, I just literally ripped my ticket up and flew straight to Australia because I knew I wanted to be here and I, I love the country. And like I say, it's been the, been one of the, the best moves I've done for the, the later stage of my career. Did he tell you Newcastle wanted to sign you or did he tell you the Newcastle Jets wanted to sign you? He said the Jets wanted to sign you, though. Between, <laughs> obviously, me and you have got no idea who, at the time who the Jets were, you know? Um, weren't they in West Side Story or something something like that mate, you know so I, I typed in Jets in Australian A-League and then obviously came across the Newcastle Jets and 
it's just such a beautiful place. You've got beaches on your on your doorstep. Uh, the weather's fantastic. And it's such an outdoor lifestyle here for the for the families, but they're really into the sports and it it's it's such a um contagious environment to be around where it's such a healthy nation, you know, so it's great. Um they're having a real go now in Australia, aren't they? There's some big I mean there's always been big players going over there, but now that the, there seems to be more they seem to be developing more of their own players as well. Is it noticeable how much of a goal that, that, that the A-League is having to to try and raise its profile to become a good standard league? Yeah, it's huge. Um, in the last, I mean, the, the marquee players in the initial stage were the marquee players to, to spread the word. And the rest of the players, no, without being disrespectful, there was no real coaching behind behind them. Now, what you've seen in the last five to six years, they've really put an emphasis on on the money going into the coaches and to to spread the word through the A licence, B licence and the U, um, to spread the word in, in developing youngsters the way the Spanish and the Dutch mould has been done. And you're just starting to see now you're going to get a lot in the next four or five years, you're going to get some cracking youngsters coming out of this this nation and and, um, and set, the, set the standards again like they did with the Harry Kews, the Cahills and the Lucas Neils. In the past, there's been a real, a real gap in the last five to six years, but you're going to see that come again with the the new with the new young kids that are coming through. And it's all down to the coaching and the money they've invested at grassroots, which is um, superb. They're into the futsal as well at younger ages. So it, it's really good. And you can see the standard of, of the young kids coming through now. Um, it, it's gone gone up no end, which proves why they've qualified for the World Cup at the under-23s this year. And Adelaide United did really well, didn't they, in the Asian Champions League last year? So I, I suppose... They did. It, it can it can always help the the country to to develop, can't it? It is. It's, it 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 helps it on a it puts them on a global map now. In the ACL, it used to only be one team would qualify, but because the lads, the Australian teams, have been doing so well in the comp and qualifying further, it opens up extra spots. So you can actually have three teams now out of our league that go into the ACL and the Champions League, which is um, being the best growth from one nation in the last the last four years to get extra teams put in there and that's just because like I say the standard of players coming over here is better and the standard of, of players coming through and, and getting coached the way footballs should be coached um, has been been sensational it's, it's emulating on the park Now tell us about the Tash is it it's still there is it the, the Movember Tash it, it certainly is there's two more days to go Um <laughs> The kids, the kids um, have disowned dad, but we we had a little bit of fun and have been dyeing the moustache different colours. So <laughs> I had a, a blue and a red effort. I think that went round the the world, <laughs> and it was a great November. Um, and this week it's going to be green, and I've done a purple. So I've had a bit of fun. Uh, my dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer, uh, not not so long ago, just just um, after New Year. So he's he's gone through that, and I've obviously wanted to do something for him. And obviously, men's depression. Obviously, we um, we're talking about depression and in and things in football on the on the eve of Gary Speed, you know. So, um, so there's there's a lot of things I, there's a lot of things that I've done it for, and it, it's been a been a great great success. And obviously, looking forward to doing it again next year. Well, you've always been someone who who lives for the game and and loves the game as long as I as long as I've known you. I mean, what you're 34 now. How long are you going to go on for? Are you going to keep on playing? I'm going to keep on playing as long as I can, brothers, mate. Um, you're you're a long time retired, and I made made this mistake about a year ago, but it was to do with the salary caps that we have over here, and uh, hung up the boots. And after about two months, I realised I'd made the wrong decision. 
and was given another chance because I'd been training again and getting back into the swing of things and realised how much maybe I became a little bit lackadaisical and took my foot off the pedal and, and relaxed a little bit but now it, it's full steam ahead again I've, I've, I'm honestly feeling the best shape of my life mate um, and just going to play for as, lo- as long as I can mate and uh, the, re- the rest coaching or working with working with children in, in sports somewhere down the line and that, that's for that's for later. That's later in my life. Me, me football and and soccer is, is soccer. Can you hear? It? There you go. That's what we bought. <laughs> you've gone, mate. Soccer. You've gone, pal. That's it. It's all over now. You've gone. Listen, I've just tarnished my reputation in one word. <laughs> I have. I have been. I've been reading your Twitter when obviously because you're eleven hours ahead of us. So sort of when I'm going to bed, uh, you're getting up and and it's sort of saying. On your Twitter, just been for a run down the beach and done this and done that. And I'm like, Mikey, you're, 30, you're 34 now. You don't need to do that anymore. You get up, train as little as you can, and then you go home. <laughs> not me, mate. Not me. <laughs> to be fair, though, to be fair, though, yeah, sorry, Paul. You, you did miss so much of your time, didn't you? I know when we worked at Leeds together that, that it was just horrible time for you, wasn't it, in terms of injuries? And you're just trying to basically make up for all that lost time now and enjoy it as long as you can because you did have those bad times. That's exactly it, mate. Now, I look back and I think, yeah, things happen for a reason. Um, I mean, it was tragic tragic at the time, but uh, obviously Dave Hancock was the physio at the time. I could have I could have um, said that enough was enough and take my insurance money back then. But Dave Hancock, to be fair, and along with my hard work and his, his hard hours that he put in, he, he saved my career and he's given us... Maybe the I look back and I think maybe the years that I was out injured for them two years, um, if if let us prolong and could could go on longer and like you say the hunger and the the desire still there, and yeah it was taken away from us and you, you, I've missed two years of football but it's it's given us a long a longer time playing playing now and like you say I'm going to go on I still reckon I've got another two two or three years left in us mate easy. Brilliant. Well, listen, thanks for joining us, pal, and. Give Liverpool's regards to Big Emil. Uh, we're all pleased to see him doing really well out there, and it and it's great to to see that you're enjoying life down there. Don't stop too long though. We do we, we still want to see you over here, you know, now and again. Listen, Mike. One day I'll be back in the UK, <laughs> but for now I'm an Aussie, Mike, and I'll be down the beach doing the didgeridoo every bloody day. <laughs> when are you going to appear on Home and Away? Yeah, I got in it. I sneaked on a little cameo. <laughs> and we went down to Palm Beach with the family. I'm not kidding you. I went out to Palm Beach with the family for a, a day out. There's all these camera crews and things going on. So I said to, said to the kids, let's go and have a look and see what's going on over there. There's a camera crew. So naive. There's about 50 other English people hanging around saying, oh, this is the, the film in Home and Away. And I was like, mm, hello, here we go. So just hanging around and managed to get one of the back back screen shots. So we claim the same, mate. I've appeared on home and away. So you yeah. know you've made it. You, you, you've played for England under 21s. You've played for England B. You should have. You would have played for England, but for injuries, you've scored all these goals. You've played for all these top teams, but your claim to fame now is doing a voiceover for Jody Shaw and appearing on Home and Away. That's it, pal. I'm telling you, the, the world's gone. Can Robbie, can Robbie Fowler and Harry Kuehl and Marva Duke say they've been on Home and Away, mate? No. <laughs> Brilliant. Listen, Mikey, thanks for joining us, pal. We really appreciate it. Good luck for the rest of the season as well. And uh, we'll Thank talk. Thank you very much, brother. We'll, we'll get and you back on. Obviously, go on, sorry. Everything we went through in the past, mate, I will give you a big up. You were an absolute legend when I was there, my time, mate. And thoroughly enjoyed everything that we did together. And it was just a, 
it was it was short but sweet with the, the Leeds fans, and I think a lot of them thought I'd left in in the a sour taste in their mouth. But obviously, the the, the things that happened and why I left, there was there was a lot taken out out of my hands for that, mate. So I just want to thank every one of them for for everything that they did for us in my time. Then they were the greatest times of my life, pal. Listen, I appreciate that, and I'm blushing now as well. So thanks, pal, and we'll we'll, we'll, t- we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mikey. Cheers. See you, lad. Thanks to Michael Bridges for joining us live from Australia, where he is currently playing for the Newcastle Jets. And you can catch up with him at Mickey Bridges 8 on Twitter. He's well worth a follow as well. Great lad. Thanks very much to him for his time. Right, on the way after the break, right here on Planet Football, we're going to deal with the problems currently afflicting Russian football. That's next. This is Planet Football on City Talk 105.9. <laughs> This is Planet Football with John Bradley, City Talk 105.9. Welcome back to Planet Football. This is City Talk 105.9 with me, John Bradley. Statman John's here as well. And we have spoken to Michael Bridges. We've spoken to Rob Daly on the week's events in Europe. And we've got more to deal with now because of the latest news in the world of football this week. Um, do we class Azerbaijan as Europe, by the way, uh, John? We seem to class it as Europe. It's, uh, it's not in Europe, though, is it? It's No, it's in the middle of Asia, I would say, <laughs> but there you go. Anyway, right. the stat of the week is that on uh, the weekend, Mamadov of FC Baku scored the 10,000th goal in Azerbaijani football. <laughs> Where do you find that? Well, where on earth do you go? Seriously, you need to tell everyone at home now. Where do you find something like that? Well, actually, FC Baku are the talk of football, or at least they're a talk of a lot of blog sites. Why is that? Because the story came out last week, or the story was manipulated last week, to say that they had appointed a 21-year-old football manager 2012 Expert, hang as... on a minute, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's stop there. A 21 year old kid is he from Azerbaijan? Yes, okay. And he has been playing football manager on his computer, which basically a lot of people at home will be doing now. This or... is this is a story that's being put about on Yahoo. Do we believe it? I think he does play. Football Manager 2012. I think he's probably played Football Manager since he was about 14. Um, as to whether that is the reason why he's been appointed, mm, that's a moot point. Surely he can't take training sessions. I mean, I've been in football for 22 years, right? And I've I've done everything that there is to do in football. And if some kid walked into a training ground having to play on a you know having played on a computer and started trying to take training sessions. You'd just laugh him out of the place. There appears to still be a head coach. He has been appointed manager. Okay, so maybe there is someone still maybe. doing the sessions, and he's overseeing everything else. He did join the. He's got a management degree from Boston University. Um, well, that teaches you how to work in football, doesn't it? Well, yeah. He got put. He got taken on by the club back in February. He got put in charge of the reserves. The reserves were then unbeaten. So he's. Obviously impressed a lot of people at the club. Um, and on the 9th of November, he was given this manager's job. Their first result was a win. Their second uh, was a last-minute or 92nd-minute defeat. But they are third bottom with two games in hand. He's 
you know, one win out of two, not bad, and certainly better than they were doing. The, <laughs> okay. Baku have also signed a big deal with Atletico Madrid, uh, where Atletico Madrid will provide coaching to, well, it's described as thousands of Azerbaijani kids. So, so they're not going to give them Falcao and Adrian Lopez, yeah? No, perhaps not. <laughs> Brilliant. What, what's the kid's name, by the way? The kid's name is Vugar Husinzadi. 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 Okay, fair enough. Everyone will be googling him now, won't they? Uh, who's oh, now? he's he's, he's certainly him. he's certainly all over the interweb. Brilliant, brilliant. Right, let's uh, move on because I want to deal with a league that is very close to my heart and a country that I spent time in as a child and a country that I still spend a lot of time in now. But I don't love it as much as my guest now. This man loved Russia so much, he has become Russian. He is marrying a Russian. He's a very dear friend of mine and has been for a long, long time. Martin Hindley. Hi, mate. How are you doing, John? Absolutely brilliant times right now because I've played championship manager for quite a long time as well. So I reckon <laughs> that makes me just about worthy to put in my CV for Spartak Moscow. Well, Spartak Moscow uh, 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 have sacked their coach this weekend. I was actually thinking that I'm going to take the Rostov Nadonu job um, with uh, David Bentley and Florent Cinema Pongol at the club. I can just about see the, the three of you on, a, on an evening out, to be honest, brothers. <laughs> uh, to, to be honest, I don't want to think any more about that. As manager, uh, as manager I mate. It's slightly uh, more entertaining than watching Rostov play football. <laughs> as manager, mate, of course, I wouldn't be socialising with my players. Uh, going on the night out thing, is this story about Spartak's players uh, going out? Well, listen, we'll talk about that in a second. First off, I want to explain to everyone what has been happening in Russia over the past week and a half. Uh, basically... Dinamo Moscow, or Dinamo Moscow as we call them over here, played Zenit St. Petersburg a week last Saturday. The Zenit fans threw a firework, it hit the goalkeeper, it's temporarily blinded him in one eye. So Zenit have been made to play a game behind closed doors, which they did yesterday, which was the top of the table clash with Cisco, wasn't it, Martin? It was, uh, and it was very, very eerie, very strange. I and mean, they played one three and a half years ago, uh, Zenit, a, a lunchtime kickoff, um, which was against Saturn, who were one of then the, the worst supported clubs uh, in, in Western Russia that don't even exist anymore. Uh, but I thought this one was a little bit more eerie, to be honest. It was dark. It felt like a friendly for, for quite a lot. And I think that, that seeped down to the players as well, because the, the first half at times was, was, was a bit too-paced. You, you got the this, this sense of uh, a rush of energy followed by, hold on, we're the only ones here. Zenit have threatened to leave the league, though, haven't they? They have, but I, I think they've, they've, we've, all, we've already seen this before. We, we saw it when they were, they were given a, a stadium ban for their supporters in, in the end of 2008 against Dinamo. We, we've seen these threats before. Uh, I think what they should be concentrating on, and if, for, for me, this is a real diversion. Uh, the, the, the whole we're hard done against thing is one thing that they always throw out when they're in times of crisis. And don't let the league table lie. Zenit are in a little bit of a time of crisis. They're six points behind uh, what I would say is a workmanlike but a relatively ordinary CSKA side by CSKA to us um, as we've seen in years gone by. You know, this, this one certainly isn't as good as the one of three years ago and they made the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Um, but 
Zenit really have struggled. They really expected to make the last eight of the Champions League this year, and now they've got a fight on their hands to get into the Europa League and have some Thursday night football. And you know how many sides across Europe actually run away from that prospect, but Zenit absolutely needed. And so to Russia, you know, there's there's been the disharmony in the camp um, over, you know, who who's getting paid what and why and who's valued more than us, you know, the Russian, the old guard, you would say, of Zenit compared to, to Hulk and Vitzel coming in. For me, John, it's a diversion. It's something that says, look, we're hard done to forget about all this on the field, which isn't too good, because we can concentrate on, on how people aren't treating Zenit particularly fairly. For me, it's a smokescreen, and it's not a particularly good one, is it? Listen, mate, the, the one concerning aspect for all of us, and there is a problem still with hooliganism, with fans misbehaving, with fixed matches, what I want to talk about in a minute, but... The World Cup's there, you know, in in four, what, what, five and a half years' time in Russia. It has got to sort itself out, hasn't it? It was massively important, I think, for um, for the RFU and the RFPL, the, the league and the, the national association, uh, to make a stance and to actually say, look, we can't accept this. I mean, the, the situation at Arena Khimki was was bordering on the bizarre. The referee took the right action, ultimately in giving Dinamo a 3-0 victory uh, or in in making that initial stance, I think the, the RFU have actually done something very brave. It's something that I don't think they would have done five years ago. And I think the World Cup has, has forced that upon them. They know the eyes of the world uh, are upon them now. And there's no hiding place. You know, you, you can't you can't talk the, the tough game and do nothing. You know, so many associations have been caught out with that in the past. And Russia's newfound uh, stance, you would say, or they would say, as, the, as Europe's fifth league, if they're going to uphold that in reality, well... They're going to have to carry on coming up with sanctions like that. The problem, I think, at the moment is that it doesn't really hit the fans too hard. They miss out on one Monday night game when it's incredibly cold. The other thing to talk about was, uh, we were talking yesterday, was there is always allegations every month, maybe every couple of weeks, about match fixing in the Russian Premier League. Uh, For everyone at home who probably doesn't know in the car, Yesterday saw a game between Amkar Perm, which is in the middle of Siberia. It was about minus 10, and they were playing on Angie Makachkala, who, of course, are the big money boys from Dagestan. Now, Angie were away from home. They were 4-1 to one on away from home. The home team was 25-1. to one. Now, Angie don't travel particularly well, but they did have a chance of winning that game. But there are huge allegations that the game was rig Martin. It's, it's something that has followed Russian football around for many years, uh, and at the moment, you know, it's in the in the spotlight in many countries. Uh, not only in Russia, you know, we've had the Hoyzer case in recent years. Things that have happened in Italy with Calciopoli. Of course, there are there are major concerns uh, about the the country. You know, you you mentioned at the start um, that there are um, there are certain places. Uh, in in Russia, in which uh, in which I've been before, where you know, I, I I've thought, you know, can this really be going on here you know one time i had a earlier this year i had a, a valid visa um but a, a police a police station thought they could make a few bob here and okay well we can manage to to relocate your passport and then you can pay some extra for it and there is no comeback you know it's something that's endemic in in russian society to a certain degree certainly not as much as it was in soviet society but still now and brad as you'll love this one because two years ago I went out of my hotel room in a place called Ryazan, which is about four hours out of Moscow. And I came back, and my backpack at, at the time, and don't give me grief for having one of those, but <laughs> all, all the this, all this stuff was turned upside down. And, you know, it was made clear 
you've been watched son now i also i went to the desk at the time because the hotel were uh, checking me into the local authority you need every time you change cities you should register with the police authority even if you're a russian citizen inside of russia and um for foreigners absolutely needs to be done and um i got back on the last night i watched seskar against inter on the tv and i said to the guy at reception look i need my passport back for tomorrow and he said sorry sir we've lost it <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, uh, all, all I'm going i'm going at four o'clock tomorrow ah yeah well you know if, if you know we're gonna have to get somebody in to look for it you know it's gonna cost 500 600 700 rubles not much you know 700 rubles now is about 15 quid and and uh, I, i'm saying no, you can't be serious he said no don't worry about it it's 700 rubles Brilliant. and in the end the guy, I, I gave the 700 rubles the guy brought it up to my room 15 minutes later on a silver salver and Brilliant. he called it service so I, th- I think we've got to put it in the context of course not very good for football if uh, any allegations like that are true, but we've got to put it in the context of the society um, that it's in. I, I hope to goodness that no match uh, around, as we all do, that no match is uh, is open yeah. to, to such allegations. Listen, we, we could go on all night and we probably could go on all night and, and we will go on all night because we, we can talk about Russian football forever. Spasiba Bolshoi for, for joining us, Martin. I'll speak to you soon, Paul. Thanks very much. That's uh, Martin Hindley joining us live on Planet Football. Hope that just gave you a little insight into life in Russia and what's happening in Russian football. I want to thank Rob Daly as ever for his European Roundup. Thanks also to Michael Bridges for joining us live on the phone from Australia. Are you going to find us something interesting for next week, Statman John? I'll go try my best. We should have the um, Ballon d'Or um, nominees finished for next week. We're only halfway through FIFA leaking the What are we waiting for day. now? What are we waiting we're waiting for, for the forwards. We're Ronaldo waiting for and the Messi. we're waiting for the winner. Ronaldo and Messi, fair enough. Brilliant. Okay, thanks to you. You'll go back to your sticking your head in your computer once again. I am off to do some commentaries on the Premier League, on Russian Premier League, and on the French League on over the next few days. And we will be back same time, same place next Tuesday. Planet Football 105.9 on City Talk. Thanks for being with us. Premier League, European and International. Planet Football, City Talk 105.9.